love coming to church on Sundays. Um, I'm not I'm not tired of you yet, so I'll let you know when I am. Um, my my son Roman is um, he's kind of a he's kind of a little prophet because he lets you know definitely what's on his mind, and he sometimes lets you know what's on your mind even when you're not aware of it. Um, we were calling Mimi yesterday. Mimi is in some kind of church play, and she was coming home, and we were FaceTiming her and said, um, hey, she's like, hey, Mimi. She's like, hey. She's like, where are you? What are you doing? She's like, I just got back from church. And the first thing out of Bubba's mouth was, oh, did you get a donut? <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, my son loves donuts at church. Um, and uh, But then he's also kind of revealed to me some things that a kid, kids are so observant that they can really um, examine how you kind of the, the, the little traditions and the habits you have in your own life. And so there came a point in time about four or five months ago where um, I usually don't sit on the couch unless it's nighttime. And when I'm sitting on the couch, it usually means I'm ready to watch TV. And so I got on the couch, and Bubby, uh, Bubby goes, they're used to me saying, they got used to for a while watching Disney or something, and, and, I, and I, would, I would have to prep them, like, we're not watching Disney. Daddy's going to watch Daddy TV. And so I got, I got to saying, Daddy's watching the news. Because you know, that was the only thing I could, probably what I was watching. And it got to a time where every night I would sit down, Bubby would say, Daddy watching the news? And then I, he would say it again and say it again. And finally I was like, I think I'm watching the news too much. Um, and so we got rid of cable. We got rid of TV four or five months ago. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I'm, if, you watch, if you watch the news a lot, good for you. I, that, I think that's great. I've watched a long time. I think we should be, um, I think it was... Um, Carl Bart or C.S. Lewis, who once said, you know, every morning start out your day with a Bible in one hand and the news and a newspaper in the other. Um, I think that's fine. I think it's great. I just, I'll tell you this. I don't care as much as what's going on in the world now that I don't watch the news. I just don't. And I'll tell you this. I'm not as pessimistic now. Um, maybe I was just watching the wrong source. I don't know. Um, but my point is, I still keep in touch with the world. I just, it's just right here. Um, I don't sit down and watch it. I think I got it from my mom. I'm going to blame my parents. Um, every night, I think I've told you all this, they got, every weeknight they, got, they came home, they sat down, they watched Tom Brokaw. Tom Brokaw was in my, in my living room growing up every night. Um, and he retired and Brian Williams came. My mom, that was a big thing for mom and dad, you know. Um, but... Every once in a while, I'll check my phone, maybe once a day or something, to check on what's going on in the world. And I checked last night, and I didn't like what was on the news. Um, if you are completely closed off to the world, I checked my phone last night, and there was uh, about, what, 10, 11 people that were killed in a mass shooting in El Paso, Texas. And uh, just, I, I prayed and um, said, Lord, come. Please come home. Please come back. Make things right. And then I went to bed. 
And then I got up this morning and checked it again. And there was another mass shooting when I was asleep. In Dayton, with nine people killed. Um, And I thought, what a world we live in. And so as I do every Sunday morning, I went to the text that I'm preaching that morning. And I I flip open and we're talking about Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Thousands upon thousands of people die every day apart from knowing the living God. We have mass shootings, disease, cancer runs rampant, ravaging humanity. Hundreds of divorces every single day. Thousands of babies being murdered. Image bearers hating other image bearers of God. And Satan is the king of the world. All because Adam and Eve chose to believe the serpent instead of the creator. And so, before we read this text this morning, I want us to understand, we're not just reading a parable. We're not just reading allegory. This is something that actually happened. Adam and Eve were real people. Satan is a real thing, person, being. And these events have radically shaped our reality. We live in a post-Genesis 3 world. Today, in 2019, in Covington and Oxford, Georgia, this is the world we know. We live in this world where people die, they don't obey God, and they love themselves more than they love the Creator. G.K. Chesterton once said that the doctrine of original sin was the only doctrine you probably don't even need a Bible to actually believe because you see it every day. Adam and Eve fell from grace, they fell from God, they fell from the highest heights, and that's why we call Genesis chapter 3 the fall. We live in a fallen world. I'm going to put, I, I want us to start with this, this here. Go ahead and go to the next one. We live in a fallen world filled with sin away from the immediate presence of the living God. That is why this morning is so critical in this text because this passage in Scripture this morning is going to explain the world we live in today. And when somebody comes up to you and says, why is the world the way it is? I would hope at some point you take them to this chapter. And so if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Genesis 1 through, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 13. And once you've found it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he called, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
The, the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Let's pray. Father, um, if we don't understand our own sin, then we understand nothing. Father, show us our illness. Show us the depths of our depravity. Show us how we've been deceived. Show us the lie so that we can know the truth. Father, we are not ignorant to Satan's design, but let us not read this passage this morning and be like Eve where we simply blame Satan and not see the specks in our own eyes, the logs in our own eyes, the sin in our own life. Father, it is all because of the fall. We are sons and daughters of Adam, but we know there is Jesus, the second Adam the faithful one, the obedient one. Father, let us put our trust in Him. Let this passage this morning drive us to the second Adam. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. You can have a seat. I don't know why I always say that, because you're going to do it anyway. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Here's the summary. At its core, sin is fundamentally a rejection of God's goodness and His truthfulness. At its core, sin is fundamentally a rejection of God's goodness and His truthfulness. The serpent is the craftiest beast of the field. He's crafty. I don't know what the Hebrew word was, but I like that word. I just don't like the sentence that it's in. He's cunning. He's sly. He's clever. He's deceitful. And here's something to think about. Craftiness is not intelligence. Craftiness is, if I had to say, craftiness is being intelligently dishonest. I think you hear the old saying sometimes, prisons are filled with intelligent people. That's not true. They're not intelligent. They're just using their smartness and their brains to be tricky. God is omniscient. Adam and Eve are intelligent. The serpent is crafty. He's duplicitous. He's two-faced. Almost all scholars would say that this is Satan embodying a snake. This is Satan taking the form of a snake. And the first two things we know about the snake is this. He's a created thing. He's, he's not God, so he's created too. And the second thing is he's not truthful. Here's something to think about this morning. Sin begins with a lie. I don't think I quoted it, Romans, Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. So before we look at Genesis 3 and we dive in, let's, let's think about this. What is the truth about God? Well, here's the truth. God is good and kind. God is righteous and just. God is holy and blameless. Most importantly, God is worthy to be honored and praised and worshipped. That is the truth about God. You can trust what He says. You can find your satisfaction in Him. You're created to worship Him. Adam and Eve should know that already. Genesis 1 and 2, as we just found out, is filled with a million reasons they have to trust God. 
and find their heart's desire in Him. He's given them light. He's given them existence. He's given them food. He's given them companions. He's given them each other. He's given them authority. He's given them purpose. He's given them intelligence. They are made in His image. If I were God, I'd be like, what more do you want? Well, they want something else, don't they? They want to be like God. Life in Genesis 1 and 2 is pretty sweet. And when they look around at the universe that God has created, they should know at least three things. God is good, God is righteous, God is worthy of my praise. And when Satan strolls up on the scene, that is exactly what he wants to destroy. He sees it and he's like, that's got to end. Satan's Here's another way of looking at it. Satan's goal, Satan's entire project is to eliminate the worship of God in the world by persuading his image bearers to worship themselves instead. When God gives us beautiful things, we see beautiful things. Satan sees an opportunity to turn our worship of God into worship of things. Eden is proof that Satan can take any good gift that God gives us and turn worship of God into idolatry of self. Satan has turned families into idols. He's turned ball teams into idols. He's turned marriages into idols. He's turned cars and trucks into idols. He's turned books into idols. He's turned jobs into idols. He's turned power and money and wealth into idols. He did it with Eden. He can do it with anything. And the very first thing Satan does is to attack God's character and to attack his trustworthiness. Verses 1 through 4. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is character assassination, is what this is. Satan's first attempt to introduce idolatry into the world is to destroy Adam's faith by making God seem untrustworthy. When we sin against God, we question His word. We call His righteousness and His truthfulness into suspicion. Satan's very first goal is to sever our spiritual lives from the truth of God's word. God lo Satan loves closed Bibles. Satan loves people who like to hear what other people have to say and not the living God. If I were to go up to an average churchgoer today, eh, let me not be too harsh on the churchgoers, although a lot of churchgoers would fall into this. If I were to go out to a random person and I would say, God is good, what do you think they'd say? Amen. <laughs> yeah. they give me some southern thing that y'all just said. And then I'd go, you believe in God? Absolutely. Do you read his Bible every day? No. Do you, believe in his, do you, do you read the Bible most days? Eh, probably not. Do you trust his word? You bet I do. Can you quote his word? Probably not. Do you study his word? Sometimes. Do you mind his word? What do you mean by that? I'm not sure what I would hear when I'd ask those questions. But I'll tell you this. Our worship of God is not predicated on where we are or where we go. Our worship of God stems from our trusting and abiding and being doers of God's Word. I want to confess this, this morning, okay? I only read my Bible twice this week. And uh, I wanted to confess that because um, 
that's probably the lowest I've ever had in a long time. Um, and I had some excuses that I won't give. Well, I'm just not going to excuses. I'm, I'm preaching a text about people who gave excuses. Um, but uh, that's, that's, that's not good. I, I, I read a lot. I read a ton, I'll tell you that. Read a lot of books that you probably would see and be like, oh, good for you. And I found two days to read the Bible, and I'm um, pretty ashamed of that. And um, so next week, when you see me, you ask your pastor how many times he read the Bible. Deal? And the reason is this. Not so I can come back and go, ha, I was a better Christian this week. Good, all right, you can get off my back now. No, the reason is, if I trust the living God, if I'm to abide in His Word, if that is the living Word, if that's the Word that spoke creation into existence, if that is my sustenance, if that's my daily bread, if you love me, ask me if I'm being fed. If you love me, ask me where my bread's coming from. If you love me, if I told you that Roman and Ruby hadn't eaten in two days, we'd be like, do I need to call CPS? If you're pastoring, reading his Bible, where are you getting it from? Straight out of the gate, Satan wants to tear God's people apart from God, and the very first step is to tear them away from the truth. He did it in the garden, and he does the same thing in our midst today. I'm going to tell you all, every time I preach to you, I preach to myself. And this one, especially today, I was like, ah, man, failed this one. And I'm glad that of all weeks, this was Genesis chapter 3. And Satan is still trying to get us to doubt God's word today. Did God really say to love your enemies? Did God really say that we should carry our cross? Did God really say you should die to yourself? Did God really say you should actually go out and make disciples? Did God really say you got to go to church? Did God really say you should abide in His Word? Did He really say you got to hate your own family and love Him more than them? Did He really say those things? Did He really mean that? Well, I don't think He did. I think it was, you know, He was, you know, that's the, that's the crux of it. But we all feel, fall short. I mean, I don't think He really meant that. I mean, He means it, but He knows we're not going to do it. Did he really mean that hell is forever? Did God really mean that he chooses whom he wills? Does God really mean that only a remnant get to hell? I mean, there's some tough things in the Bible. And Satan pounces on that and goes, I don't think he really meant that. I think that's an old book meant to say things. And you're okay if you don't believe them. Because, I mean, let's be honest, no one really does. No, it's not just an old book. It's a double-edged sword, and that cut that you just felt, it's for your good. Now, here's something else to think about. If Satan has proven one thing over thousands of years, it's that our faith will rest in God's Word, or it will rest in ourselves. And if we don't make God's Word a priority in our lives, we really don't trust, we don't, <laughs> we don't rust in it to begin with. But Satan's not done. He's not done. This is a two-pronged assault. He got now, Eve's got a little seed of doubt now. I don't know if I can trust God now. But he's not done. He also wants her to doubt God's goodness. Here's what verse 5 says. For God knows, this is Satan speaking, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
You know, God just told you that because He doesn't want you to be strong. He doesn't want you to be powerful. He doesn't want you to be smart. He doesn't want you to be wise. He's holding you back. What, let's just stop here. What do you think Eve's response should have been when she hears that? What should Eve's response should have been when she hears Satan say, God knows you'll be like him? What do you think she should have said? I am like God. I'm made in his image. Eve was more like Satan. Let's go to the next one real quick. Eve was more like God than Satan would ever be. She reflected, represented, and walked with God. She enjoyed a special relationship with him that no other creature did. I am like God. But you know what? For a second, Eve forgets who she is, and that's when sin enters the world. Eve's identity crisis becomes the world's greatest tragedy. She sees the tree is good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. She eats it. She gives some to Adam. Their eyes are opened. And the world becomes the one we know today. Separated from God, worshiping ourselves, no idea who we are, lost and searching for joy, but we can't find it. I was watching a, a dating show. I wasn't watching a dating show. Okay, I saw it and I clicked off. All right, But this girl, she said... Um, see, I'm making excuses. Um... This girl goes, well, I'm just trying to find a nice guy. She said, this, this is, I think, the gist of what she said. She goes, I'm just trying to find a good guy, you know, somebody that I can trust. I mean, isn't that kind of most women? This girl wasn't, an, wasn't a believer, though, but she was looking for someone who was what? Good and trustworthy. And I thought to myself, in a fallen world, couples who don't know God, they're still trying to find someone who is good, holy, righteous, and trustworthy, except they're not finding it in God, and instead they're trying to find it in each other. And they're almost always disappointed. When we think about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion, more often than not, he's not trying to topple a house with a tornado or a fire or, or wipe out a home. No, I think Satan works most often trying to destroy the home from the inside out. Satan works. I think Satan would rather have that home stand up, become really good looking, have a lavish home. No, nothing against lavish homes, but I think that he, Satan wants us... Satan's not interested in the bricks of our house. He's interested in the hearts and the worship inside of the house. Here's another way of putting it. Satan would much rather we live in Eden trusting ourselves than walk in the desert trusting in God. Which is why oftentimes suffering can be one of the greatest graces God can give us. And today, because of sin, we generally don't believe that God is good because we generally want to keep our things and keep our money instead of giving it to Him. Today, we don't believe that God is trustworthy because we care more about what other people have to say about us than we do God. And today, we generally don't think God is righteous because we're really busy trying to earn our own. And that's why Jesus came. In a world where everyone doesn't believe that God is good, Jesus says, I'll show you how good I am. In a world that doesn't believe that God can be trusted, Jesus comes and says, I'm going to do what I say, and I'm going to fulfill every prophecy. In a world that doesn't think God is righteous, Jesus says, I'm going to keep the law perfectly, and you can have mine. Here's something to think about. Whereas Satan assailed the goodness and righteousness of God and destroyed the faith of Adam, it's by the second Adam we can receive the righteousness of God and taste the goodness of God.
Now here we go. Verses 11 through 13. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you notice how the blame game goes down? Do you notice that? Adam, who's he come calling for first, though? Adam. Adam's responsible. Adam, what's going on? It's her fault. Eve, what's wrong? It's his fault. Everyone's got somebody to blame. It's like anybody who's ever worked anywhere knows and has seen this in some time. It always flows where? Down. It's somebody's fault. It's not mine. This is the world's very first blame game. In fact, Adam doesn't just... Actually, go back real quick. Do you notice that Adam actually blames two people? The woman whom what? You gave me to be with. It's not my fault, it's hers. And I wouldn't even know this broad if it wasn't for you. Can you say that behind a pulpit? I don't know if I can. Adam blames Eve and God, and Eve blames the serpent. Have you noticed that too? Here's the thing. Something to think about. No, go back. It is Eve's fault, but it's not just Eve's fault. It is Satan's fault, but it's not just Satan's fault. And very often, that's how sin works in this world. It is not so clean. Am I right? When blame games happen, you see it all the time, it is very rarely just one person's fault. It took me a long time to figure that one out. The people that I grew up with, that I can look back and, and look now, that did me harm, the reason I had to clean someone else's mess, somebody that because of their negligence, because something they said or something they did that caused me things, it is their fault. But so often it's because I took part in it or I didn't really react well to it either. It is not so clean as Adam and Eve want it to be. And now God does what? As Lee will preach next week, guess who gets cursed? All three. The world's first blame game. Nobody owns up to their sin. Okay, now you can go. In Eden, there was obedience with responsibility. After sin, there is disobedience with excuses. In today's society, there is always an antagonist. There's always a reason somebody else made me do what I did. It's always someone's fault the way I behaved like I did. In marriage, it's her fault. At work, it's their fault. In politics, it's the other side's fault. In a church, it's the pastor's fault. We've traded God's goodness and truthfulness and what we said is nobody is good but me and I'm the only one I can trust. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Raise your hand if you've heard somebody say, I don't trust nobody but myself. That is the most ungodly statement that you would have never found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And Jesus has become the very opposite of Adam trusting in his heavenly father. When Jesus went to the cross, he says, it's not my fault, but I'll take your punishment. I've kept the law, but I'll take your blame. 
It is their sin that put me here, but God forgive them for they know not what they do. The most un-Adam-like thing you could do is Jesus Christ going to the cross for the same people who put him there. God took our greed and our unbelief and our hypocrisy and our cowardice and all our Adamness, and he put it on Jesus, the Lamb of God. Here's something I want everyone to think about this morning. Adam shifts the blame to Eve. Eve shifts the blame to the serpent. Jesus shifts the blame to himself. And that is the gospel. In a world filled with people who do not want to own up to their sin, in a world full of excuses, Jesus raised his hand and said, I'll do it. Look at the love of our great God. For a sinner to finally call on the name of the Lord, we got to what? We got to repent. And isn't repentance just finally raising your hand and saying, It's me. It's my fault. I don't deserve grace. I deserve nothing. I'm in Adam. Repentance is this. Confessing that you are a son and daughter of Adam and reaching out in faith to the second one. My Father, when I I read this, I go, Father, when I read... Genesis 3, I so often read it as a narrative of which I don't take part. But I think God wants me to go, no, 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 Adam and Abba, you're in there. You're in there too. We don't have the luxury of reading Genesis chapter 3 and going, Adam screwed it up. If it hadn't been for him, we could read this and do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We could shift the blame. Romans chapter 5, Paul spends a great amount of time saying, no, 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 this isn't just Adam, this is you. You're in Adam. You're a part of this. No one gets to shift the blame in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is the reason our world is the way it is. But it's our fault because he is our ancestor. We're all related. And so this morning I want us to understand that we're all in Adam. But Jesus comes so that we don't have to remain in our flesh. We have a Savior who fully trusted the Father. We have a Savior who did not doubt the goodness of God. We have a Savior who took the Father at His word and went to the cross knowing that it was for best for the world and it was for the love of sinners. When we read Genesis 3, we see the reason the way the world is. But when we see Jesus, we see what the world will one day be. And that's, that's where our hope is. Let's put our hope in that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to know you. We long to, to know more of you, to study you, to dwell in the knowledge of your son Jesus. Father, keep us close. Incline your ear to our cries. We plead this morning that we can be people of the word. Father, Please do not let us be severed from the truth. Father, do not let us give in to the lie. You are worthy to be praised. You are good. You are honorable. You are trustworthy. And we can believe your word when it says that when we believe in your son Jesus, we have life. Father, where Adam gave us death, 
Father, I pray that Jesus and the hope of the resurrection will remain and abide in that truth. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.